0: Well, it's wonderful to have Hannah Dagay bring God's word to us. Let's so be expectant. If you've got a Bible, get your Bible out ready. Let's be ready, though, to receive from God. God's got a word for us today to strengthen us, encourage us, and provoke us. So thank you, Hannah. Thank you. Good morning, church. And it's a privilege once again to bring God's word. And this morning, we are continuing in our preach series on the Sermon on the Month. By Jesus. We have seen in the last weeks, Jesus in the series of teaching stepped up the standard from the observance of the outward religious rituals and acts based on the laws of Moses to a message of living as a part of God's kingdom and pushing the bar very high. And building up on what we have seen in the last weeks, we should be. This morning, moving on to consider the topic, the kingdom and the heart. The kingdom and the heart. In setting the foundation for an understanding of our series, in the first sermon, Kingdom and Living, Dan set out that in engaging with this message of Jesus, it will require us to re-engage, revitalize, and reinvest in experiencing the power and the presence of God in our everyday lives. And I want to add this morning another R, re examine. I want to add this R, re examine, as we consider another aspect of the message by Jesus. And I want to pray that as we listen this morning, the Holy Spirit. Would help us to re-examine our lives as we re-engage, revitalize, and reinvest as kingdom people. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this awesome opportunity to meet together. We have people all over the city and beyond gathered. We might be separated in distance, but we're not separated in your spirit because your word says you're with us always. Once again, we want to sit at your feet like Mary did before Jesus, listening to you. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will teach us your word, that will cause us to re-examine our lives, re-engage, revitalize, and reinvest in living as your children, even in this time of difficulties. Holy Spirit, speak through me in Jesus' name. Our text this morning is from Matthew chapter 5, and we're reading from verses 27 to 30. I want to read from the amplified version. So starting from verse 27, it says, You have heard what it was said. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who so much as looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you to stumble and leads you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. That is, remove yourself from the source of temptation For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Verse 30, if your right hand makes you to stumble and leads you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, that is, remove yourself from the source of temptation. For it is better for you to lose one part, one of the parts of your body than for you for your whole body to go into hell. Wow. Another hard message, where Jesus again very clearly sets out another high standard above the prevailing law from saying, I'm not telling you not to commit adultery, that's the Acts, that's the Old Testament. He's saying, I'm saying looking lustfully is already adultery. And we're considering the punishment of adultery as of the Old Testament standard. This invariably, the standard was stoning to death. So invariably, he was saying, as much as looking, you could be punished by stoning. Very hard and difficult, I'm sure you'll be wondering. But not stopping there, he gave the remedy for dealing with it. It is unimaginable for us in this day and age to think of anyone having their eyes removed or their limb cut off in order to stop themselves from committing sin. So from the verses we've read, Jesus clearly has set a higher standard of living for anyone, anyone at all that wants to follow him. So in focusing on these verses, let's consider these two questions. The first one is, why this radical difference? Why this radical difference? The second one is, what is the kingdom and the heart? So let's look at the first one. Why this radical difference? The earlier verses in the chapter, Matthew chapter 5, that we started on, provided a yardstick for why the bar has been pushed up so high for the followers of Jesus. Matthew chapter 5 from verses 13 down to 16, I'm going to read. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it again made salty? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 14, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do men. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You would appreciate a food that needs to be seasoned with salt when the salt is left out. Equally, we know that salt... Is used to preserve food, among other things it's used for. Again, the difference between light and darkness explains the vivid difference Jesus wants for us to make. Salt and light. He wants us to be salt and light. Salt and light in the midst of the chaos and the confusions that we're in now. From this verse is also, not only that, We show the direction to God by being salt and light. It's also that the Father, people will see the Father in us and glorify our Father. That the glory will be given to God, that we are salt and we are light. The direct implication of this higher than expected ethical or moral standard is the glaring realization that I can't achieve this by my own strength that you can't achieve this by your own strength. It shows a desperate need for Jesus, a desperate need for grace in living in God's kingdom. In dealing with the source of temptation, as we read from the verses, we see that God is interested in our hearts. Verse 28, I'll read it again. It says, but I say to you, that everyone who so much as, that's from the Amplified Version, looks at the woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in, with her in his heart. So sin starts from the heart, that place where no one except you and God alone can see. And looking at that again, we look back to scripture I remember in the diligent search by Samuel to look for a king for Israel, when he went over to meet the sons of Jesse, and he looked at the brothers, he looked at the first brother, David's brother in First Samuel chapter 16, and he had this to say, that this must be the person, because this is the person, the height, the appearance was so good. But verse 7 says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so, in considering how important the heart is, if we look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it says, above all else above all else, guard your hearts. For everything you do flows from it. Everything. Everything. King James Version says, out of it are the issues of life. Out of it are the issues of life. So connecting this to our main text, the state of the heart determines the act. It starts from the heart. And because You know, I know, that I don't just commit adultery or you don't just commit adultery just by chance. It was a process. Therefore, dealing with the source of temptation again gives us an insight into the grievousness of the sin. Even in the morals of the world, we all know, adultery is viewed as a grievous offense. To some, it's so unforgivable that homes have been broken. To some, it's led to people murdering each other. We've heard of cases of murder being committed. Again, looking at the verse, the tearing out of the eye or the cutting off of the hand are also a practical demonstration of how God wants us to view sin and how he views sin, and how we should deal with sin, any sin at all. Any sin at all. God wants a drastic action. It's also a stark reminder of the reality of the punishment for sin, which was clearly stated there, hell, thereby confirming the need for the drastic action against sin. So it's a hell or heaven choice. Matthew 5:8, earlier in that same chapter says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So what then is the kingdom and the heart? The second point is a heart after God's heart. A kingdom's heart is a heart after God's own heart, which has a great reward. And this heart is, I'm going to be looking at them along, a heart that fears God, a heart that loves God, a heart that is filled with God's word. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, Thy word have I hidden in my heart, that I may not sin against you. The fourth word, a heart that is ruled by the Holy Spirit. Let's remember the story of Joseph. He feared God. In Genesis chapter 39, when Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce him, he could say, my master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? He dealt with the source of temptation by fleeing. If he had not fled, he might not have ended up as the prime minister of Egypt. He had to go to prison on the account of Potiphar's wife wrongly accusing him. But the story we know from the prison, he got the chance to get to the position where he was supposed to be. What if he had succumbed? Might he have remained a slave forever to Potiphar's wife until she got a younger person that met her fancy? I want us to think about that. There is reward in fearing God. On the other hand, again, let's remember the story of David in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Following the standard of Jesus I will just read, in that story where he saw Bathsheba taking a shower on the roof, I wonder how she managed it. Following the standard of Jesus, he looked. So maybe he should have had his eyes torn out. He caught a glimpse of her, He should have fled like Joseph, but he did not, but looked and looked and landed in big-time trouble. But however, going through the life of David, the story we see, we see mercy, we see grace at work. Mercy and grace. David was described as a man after God's heart. We read that earlier. And again, in Acts chapter thirteen, verse twenty-two, it says about David: After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. That's David. I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David was surely far from perfect. Yet. A man after God's own heart. It doesn't mean perfection, but it means receiving the mercy and the grace that Jesus offers. It's a choice to receive it. Mercy when God does not give us what we deserve, grace when God gives us what we do not deserve. 73 chapters. Of the book of the Psalms were written by David. Some were songs of worship, cry of mercy, cry of anguish, prayers for deliverance, testimonies of God's faithfulness, testimonies of God's love. We read about David stumbling, we read about David getting up, we read about David hungry for God, he sought God passionately, he gave passionately, he worshipped passionately, he praised passionately. David was far from perfect, but he never stopped running after God. Unlike other kings we read about in the Old Testament, David in his perfect heart never turned to false idol or idolatry. His heart was the heart that followed and obeyed God. And still looking at David, he had total faith in God. He loved God's word. If we read Psalm 19 and also Psalm 119 as well, we'll see how he cherished the word of God. In drawing to a conclusion... The kingdom and the heart is a heart that is yielded to the Holy Spirit. He is the one that guarantees victory over sin if we let him. If we allow him, he will give us the strength to live by God's high standard that God has set to protect us. I want to read this last verse from Romans chapter 8, starting from verse 1, looking at the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life. It says, therefore, there is... Now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous Requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I want the band to come up, please. And I want us, as we begin to round up this prayer, and that is re examining our hearts, re engaging, revitalizing, and reinvesting as kingdom people. That in doing this, we can fully enjoy the full life that comes from living to God's high standard, and that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. The questions I want to ask even as we pray and as you bow your head to pray at home right now is to ask, am I a light or a soul to those around me? Is my heart a kingdom's heart? And if you are a Christian, have you made a mistake like David? I want you to use Psalm 51 as your prayer today. And if you're not a Christian, the starting point, the starting place for a heart after God is a relationship with Jesus. Would you take that step today? Because God never gives up on us. He loves you. He loves me. He knows you by name. His goodness will keep running after us. Father, we thank you. Your goodness keeps running after us. You never give up on us. Thank you for your work of grace and your mercy. Help us, Lord, to move on as salt and light.